proven themselves to be overly fruitful in the church. Well, as we said with the kids just a minute ago, we are in the last chapter of Numbers. We started this journey with the people of Israel back in the last Sunday of January. Six months later, we are wrapping up this great book. And I hope that it's been a great book for you as well. It's been a great book for me as we have looked through and seen the holiness of God, seeing his dealings with sin, that he disciplines his children, that he judges those that sin, that he will not tolerate it. As we have seen at the same time his compassion and his willingness to honor repentance among his people. As we have seen how his plans never fail, though they may not work out the way that we thought they would, the plan may not be the plan that we had, how he always brings about his will through us. We have seen how God's people respond to a holy God, how at times we rebel, at times we walk through the wilderness, how at times we stumble and fall, and yet how we always have the option of repentance, how we can come back to this God who provides for us over and over again. As we come to chapter 36, it's, it's kind of an odd ending to this book, though. It's kind of an odd ending to this book, that the very last chapter, you would think it would be something along the lines of Moses' death or possibly the entrance into the promised land or something like that, but instead we are back with the daughters of Zophilahad with one last problem of inheritance. And so we're going to read chapter 36 together. So if you are able, if you would stand with us, that we may honor the reading of God's word this morning. It's a fairly short chapter, but if uh, for some reason you need to need to sit in the middle, we understand that as well. But let's read this together. Chapter 36 of Numbers, starting in verse 1. The heads of the fathers' houses of the clan of the people of Gilead, the son of Machur, the son of Manasseh, from the clans of the people of Joseph, came near and spoke before Moses and before the chiefs, the heads of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel. They said, The Lord commanded my Lord to give the land for inheritance by lot to the people of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of Zophilahad, our brother, to his daughter. But if they are married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the people of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers and added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they married. So it will be taken away from the lot of our inheritance. And when the, tri- when the jubilee of the people of Israel comes, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry, and their inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. And Moses commanded the people of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, The tribe of the people of Joseph is right. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zophilahad. Let them marry whom they think best, only they shall marry within the clan of the tribe of their father. The inheritance of the people of Israel shall not be transferred from from one tribe to another. For every one of the people of Israel shall hold on to the inheritance of the tribe of his father. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance 
in any tribe of Israel shall be the wife to one of the clan of the tribe of her father, so that every one of the people of Israel may possess the inheritance of his father. So no inheritance shall be transferred from one tribe to another, for each of the tribes of the people of Israel shall hold on to its own inheritance. The daughters of Zophilahad did as the Lord commanded, for Mala, Pizra, Hula, Milchal, and Noah, the daughters of Zophilahad, were married to sons of their father's brother. They were married into the clans of the people of Manasseh, the sons of the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's clan. These are the commandments and the rules that the Lord commanded through Moses to the people of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we are... Lord, we're in constant amazement, Lord, that you choose to speak to us. Lord, we sinful people. Lord, we are a people that have mocked your name. Lord, we are a people that have rebelled at times against you, and yet you did this great act of salvation in our lives, and now you call us your children, and you desire to have a relationship with us. You desire to speak to us, to guide us. Lord, you desire what's best for us. You desire for us to ourselves and for us to look more in the image of Christ that we may be prepared for all of eternity. Lord, what a thing. Lord, it's difficult for our, our brains to try to wrap around that. Father, I pray this morning, though, as we look at your word, Lord, that we would see your desire to speak. We would know your heart. Like I said earlier, this is kind of a kind of an odd way to end this book. Kind of an odd way to to wrap up 36 chapters. And yet, as I said, it, it ties in with the themes that we've been seeing. It ties in with the theme of inheritance. That's what a large part of this book is dedicated to the idea of inheriting this thing that God had promised. And so it's not surprising that we should deal with an issue of inheritance. A large part of the book deals with the holiness of God and how his people that he has called, that he has saved, are to respond to him and to have a relationship with him. So it shouldn't be a response or a surprise to us that the last chapter deals with the people of God coming once again to the Lord to, to seek guidance. It shouldn't surprise us that the ending chapter shows us an everyday question, a common thing, not, not some grand thing, not something that maybe we don't deal with. We deal with inheritance. We deal with all of these things. Maybe not in the exact same way that the daughters of Zophila had did or the clans of Manasseh did, but we, we understand this and we see God's desire to speak into these things. So maybe it shouldn't surprise us that the book of Numbers ends with one last problem, one last question before the Lord through Moses. To give a little bit of context to this chapter, though, we need to know a little bit of the background. 
You see, this wasn't the original problem, but there was an original problem. Back in chapter 27 of this book, we meet the daughters of Zophilahad for the first time. And we see the original problem. And it's kind of discussed here in chapter 36. But the original problem in chapter 27 was that God was beginning to describe to the nation of Israel how inheritance was going to work. They had just finished a census account of the new generation. And they be, God was beginning to unfold this idea that, that each clan, each tribe would get land based on how large they were or how small they were. And how that would be divided and what that would look like. And specifically, it was seen that the inheritance of the land, the passing on of the land, would happen through the sons, especially the first son. And the daughters of Zophilahad come to Moses, and they are very honest. They don't lie about their father. They don't try to paint a, a pretty picture of their dad more so than what it is. They just simply say, he died in the wilderness of his before his sins. He didn't stand up and say, hey, let's go into the promised land. He was part of that, the, the tribe, the group of Israel that said, no, let's not do that and rebelled against the Lord. But they also said, hey, he also wasn't part of the, the Korah rebellion. He wasn't directly confrontational with you. He just kind of went along with the crowd. And, but he was part of that generation. But before he died, he didn't have any sons. We're it. Just his daughters. And if inheritance happens the way that you say it's going to happen, we're not going to have anything, and the name of our dad is going to be gone. He's going to be forgotten. And so they come with this original problem, and they do it humbly, they do it respectfully, and Moses takes that question, and, and a, as a good pastor, as a good man of God, he says, look, I don't know the answer to that. And he goes, and he, he makes requests of the Lord on their behalf and says, what are we to do? And God gives an answer. And so we see the original answer in 27. The original answer is the girls are to inherit the land. Just as the, the if there was a son, he would inherit the land. If there is no son, then the girls inherit. And so they think the problem is solved. Now the girls will inherit the land, no big deal. And then we get to chapter 36, and now we have a new issue. We have a new issue. The girls want to get married. I know, this is shocking. Like, how could anyone have ever foreseen this or expected this? How dare they want to get married? But here we are. Girls want to get married. And the clan, the tribe of Manasseh, understands the issue. But there's a problem. You see, what we don't see directly dealt with in numbers is the idea of the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee is kind of interesting. It happens every 50 years. And one of the things that would happen during the year of Jubilee is that the land would revert, 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 sorry, I'll get there eventually, would revert back to the original family. So whether that had land had been traded or sold or whatever, during those 50 years, at, the, at that moment, at that year, it went back to the family that had originally owned it when the lots were cast. And the idea behind that was that each tribe would hold on to its inheritance forever. No tribe would be able to gain a, a land advantage over another. Judah couldn't simply go buy up all of Benjamin's land and then in relatively own them or have power over them. 
Or Reuben couldn't buy up all of Manasseh's land and say, hey, we kind of, we control you now because we have all of the land. It was to keep equality among the 12 tribes so that they would have a distinct home and a distinct place. And so we have this idea of jubilee, we have this idea of inheritance, and the and now we have these girls who are wanting to marry, but they have an inheritance of their own, and the people of Manasseh say, whoops, we've got a problem. Because what's going to happen is these girls are going to marry, they're going to see a cute boy from Judah, and they're going to go, we want him. And one of them's going to get married from a kid from Judah, and another one's going to see a cute boy from Benjamin, and another one's going to see a guy from Simeon, and they're all going to spread out. And what's going to happen is the land that was originally intended for Manasseh is now going to go into the households of all these other tribes. And now there's a loophole. There's a loophole here for tribes to take over other land. They can just simply marry daughters. And so now the, the tribe of Judah has the potential to grow the land that they own, the land that they should have an inheritance through this marriage the tribe of Simeon has a chance to grow and extend their land through marriage. And they're like, and Manasseh has the potential that they may shrink. And this is not going to happen just to Manasseh. You know that there are other men that had just daughters. And so this is a problem that's going to persist. And so we have this new issue. What are we going to do when the girls want to marry? Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to screw up the inheritance. It's going to mess with, with what tribe has what land. And so they search, they're searching for guidance. They're searching for guidance here. It's different than what happens earlier in the book of Numbers. And we need to recognize that. Earlier in the book of Numbers, we have the people of Israel, and some of them are, are wanting protein. They're, they're tired of manna. And so they grumble and they complain about their circumstances. They say things like, it's better to go back to slavery than to deal with this. At least there we, at least in slavery we had fish. At least in slavery we had garlic. That's still my favorite. It's like, you would rather be slavery but have your garlic than being free and have manna. But whatever. Anyway, they complain. They grumble. And then it gets to the point in certain spots where they begin to outright rebel. They refused to go into the promised land. They refused to remember that this God who had delivered them from the most powerful nation on the face of the planet at that time, this God who had parted the Red Sea, they failed to remember that, and they said, forget it. We're not going in. It's too dangerous. They rebelled with Korah when they refused to see that God was using Moses, and so they rebelled against him. But that's not what's happening here. They give great respect for God and Moses. They have great respect for God and Moses. We see it in the terms that they use. It says that these guys came, this clan, this, this partial tribe, they come to Moses and they refer to Lord Yahweh. He is our God. They refer to Moses as little El Lord. Hey, you're, you're his chosen one. You're the one, that, you're the one that's in charge here. They show great respect. They're not coming with a grumbling attitude. They're not coming with a hard heart. They're not coming making demands. They are searching for truth. They are on a search for truth. They want to hear from the Lord. 
They want to hear what he's going to say. They want to know what's right. It's a reminder to us, brothers and sisters, as we look at these guys, as we look at this clan and at these daughters as well, that the Lord desires, the Lord desires for us to search him out. When we come to those crossroads in life, and we've all been there, right? We've all come to those points when it's like, do I go left or do I go right? Or do I turn around and come back the way I came? And oftentimes, they not always, but often they come in points of crisis in our life when we just don't know simply what to do. And, and the world is putting pressure on us to make a choice. And, and we know that in our heart, oftentimes, the, the way that they're wanting us to go may not be the way that the Lord wants us to go. Now, there's other times that we come to those crossroads, and sometimes they're both great choices, and they're both good things, and we're just like, which one's better? Which one's the one that you would have me to choose? We all come to those points, and the Lord cries out throughout His Word. He he cries out in Deuteronomy. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Proverbs 8.17 I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Acts 17, 27. In a much grander passage about this topic, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Throughout God's word, he is crying out to his people, even crying out to the lost. If you will search for me, if you will seek me, if you will ask me, you will find me. You will find me. God desires to be involved in these decisions. We uh, we did camp. Many, many of you know, most of you know that I just got back from camp a couple weeks ago. And while I was there, I, I got to be able to mentor some teenagers. And one of the questions that they were asking was about college and where do I go to school. And, and I asked them, I said, have you guys prayed about this? Prayed about where the Lord wants you to go to school? Prayed about what occupation he wants you to follow? And they were like, no, why would I do that? And I'm like, yeah, why would you do that? The Lord desires to be involved in those things. He desires to to guide you and direct you. He he desires to say, hey, this school would be a great place for you. This is where I want you, where I'm going to use you, where I'm going to grow you and build you up. Hey, this is the occupation. This is where I've put your talents and your gifts. I'm going to use you in this area of influence for my glory. Hey, this is where I want you to live. This is the spot I'm going to place you. Maybe it's not your plan. Maybe it isn't where you would choose to live. But this is where I want you. And I'm going to put great people around you. Maybe this is who I want you to marry. Can you imagine these girls? It's like, you can marry whoever you want, but it has to be of this plan, of this tribe. Like, I've got to imagine at least one out of the five heard that and went, really? i got to marry one of these jokers? Like, I see these guys at family reunions all the time. This is not where I want to go right now. That kid from Judah, 
he's legit. He's got it together. His dad's got a good farm. They're going to make it well. My life's going to be nice, and you want me to marry one of these fellas. Okay, God. But God desires to have word into those things. And so these people, these these clans members, these daughters, they're, they're searching not out of rebellion. They're searching not out of a place of demand of, Lord, you have to do something about this. They're doing it at a place of respect and humbleness, knowing that the Lord desires to do these things, that he desires to speak into their lives, and they wait. Lord, what do you want from us? The great thing about this passage is that we get his holy response. We get a holy response. God speaks to his people. He answers them. He does it through Moses, but he answers them. And the same is true for you and I. When we seek the Lord, the verses that we just read, when we seek Him with everything we are, when we seek Him in humbleness, saying, Lord, what do you want from me? Lord, what would you have for me? Where should I go? Where should I turn? What should I do? He responds. He responds. We see in Scripture that He primarily does this through what? Three ways. And this is not in your notes, but you can write these down. He primarily does this in three ways. Now, this is not to discount you walking through a field and there being a burning bush. This is not to discount uh, that he can talk through a storm or that he can talk through an earthquake or that he can talk through a still small voice. God does that at times. We see it in Scripture. We see it in the testimony of some of the brothers and sisters around us. He still does that on occasion. But as a whole, he does not do that normally. As a whole, he speaks through three ways. The first is he speaks through life circumstances. He speaks through life circumstances. We've all had this, right? God obviously closes a door and he opens another one. Sometimes he uses life circumstances like a two-by-four upside our forehead when we haven't listened to the other ways that he speaks. Okay? Life circumstance. He speaks through it. That life circumstance, and you're going to see a pattern here, that life circumstance lines up with Scripture. We need to be careful with life circumstance because sometimes we see life circumstance and we like to interpret the way we want to interpret it. But it should always be held up to the word of the Lord. So he speaks to us through life circumstance. The second way that he often speaks to us is through our brothers and sisters. He speaks to us through the church. The church should be made up of believers who have the Holy Spirit within them. And there are times that God does that. We look at Nathan and David. David had committed a great sin. Nathan comes to him and says, hey, pull it together. You need to repent. Nathan didn't do that because he hated David. Nathan did that because he knew the holy man that God intended David to be. And he wanted David to get back on track. We see it throughout Scripture that God often places other people in individuals' lives so they may encourage them, so they may challenge them. And he does the same for you and I. He has given us the church that we may encourage one another, that we may challenge one another. And often he speaks through brothers and sisters into your life and to my life so that we may know the direction we're going. But again, when we hear those words from brothers and sisters, they should line up with this. Which brings me to the final point. God, God often, and his primary way of speaking to us, is through the word of God. He speaks through life circumstances. He speaks through other individuals, specifically believers, and he speaks through the word of God. Sometimes it's a Sunday morning sermon. Sometimes it's a, a sermon that you hear in your car. Sometimes it's through your quiet time. 
Sometimes it's through a word that's shared with you another way. But God primarily speaks through this book. I had a friend of mine. We were praying over an issue. And she just couldn't figure out what was going on. She couldn't figure out right, right and wrong and up and down, left and right. What do I do with this? What do I do with this situation? And we were praying over it. And we were praying with another friend of ours. And he finally, he said, you know what, I think this is the problem. And he opened up to Matthew, and he had her read a passage out of Matthew. And all of us in the room were like, well, there it is. And he said, the problem isn't that God hasn't been speaking to you. The problem is that God already spoke to you. You were just ignoring it. And he was just waiting for you to figure it out and for you to find it in his word. Sometimes we we like to say, well, God's not answering us because we have not been looking in the right place. He's already given us his word. He desires us to to be here. And what I've found is many times in the great large decisions of life, he uses all three. In In the major decisions of life, oftentimes he uses all three of these things. He uses life circumstance. He uses the church. He uses his word. He uses all three to come together to remind us and to help us to know the way. God desires to speak to his people. He desires for us to know him and to know his will for our lives. We have to listen. So God, we see God speak here. It says, and Moses commanded the people of Israel according to the word of the Lord saying, and then he gives this command. Notice here that God uses his leader. Just as we've been talking about, God uses three ways, those three primary ways of speaking to us. One of those ways is through other people. Here it's through Moses. God could have very easily come down in a flash of lightning and a clap of thunder and through a, through a pillar of fire or a cloud of smoke, he could have given the answer, but rather he chooses to use Moses. God chooses to use his given leader. Not only that, but God gives a clear command. When God speaks, he gives a clear command. The command is simple. The daughters can marry whoever they want as long as they marry inside the tribe. That way the land continues with the family. The inheritance continues with the family. Like I said earlier, it may not have been the answer that all the girls wanted, but it was. it's a clear command. God doesn't ask us to do impossible things, though they may be difficult things. They may seem impossible to us. He does not ask us to do impossible things. He gives us the command to forgive our enemies. It's a clear command. It's clear. doesn't mean it's easy. doesn't mean we don't need his help to accomplish it. God gives us the command to go and make disciples. It's a clear command simple command doesn't mean that it's always easy doesn't mean we don't need his help to accomplish it God gives us clear direction in our lives sometimes it's not what we want to hear sometimes it's not the easy path sometimes it's not the easy thing to accomplish but when God speaks so often it is always it is a clear command that commands a clear action which leads us to the end here when God speaks when we ask him when we come to him humbly when God speaks to us through a holy response it demands obedience these girls here 
they could have heard this they could have heard this command they could have heard the 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 plan the answer to marry with inside the tribe and they had a choice to make they could either say yes we're going to do that or they could have rebelled and said no i'm going to stick with the cute kid from judah they had a choice but it says all of them did as the lord commanded to moses verse 10 the daughters were married to sons of their father's brothers they married into the clans of the people of manasseh the son of jacob they had an expectation of God's word. They came to God's word, and they were expecting him to answer. And when they got that word, when they, when they received that which they had expected, when they received that which they had desired, then they obeyed. There's expectation to God's word here. There's obedience to God's word here. And then we see blessings of the word. We see the expectation of God's word. They come to him asking for an answer, expecting an answer to happen. When they hear it, they obey it. They don't rebel against it. They don't walk the other direction. They take it and they accomplish it. And then we see the Lord bless them. Now here, the blessing actually takes a little bit. Do they have the inheritance yet? Uh Uh-uh. They haven't gone across the Jordan they haven't accomplished anything. The inheritance is still in the future. They don't know what land they're going to be given. They don't know where the lot is going to fall. That's still up to the Lord. There's no battles been fought. There's nothing. The blessing isn't immediate yet. That's going to be accomplished later. And so often, the blessing of the Lord, that doesn't always come immediately. We're not. This isn't a, a name it, claim it sermon. This isn't a prosperity gospel just because we we do something we don't expect as what carolyn said earlier we don't we don't worship him because of what he does for us we worship him because of who he is just because we obey doesn't mean tomorrow we're going to have a brand new corvette i keep walking into my kitchen and like lord i obeyed why is the drywall not up like why haven't you just done this okay sometimes the blessing isn't immediate oftentimes the blessing is the preparation for us to go into the land that he has promised. So often the blessing of obedience is that he is transforming us into the image of Christ so that we may be prepared for eternity with him. Sometimes that's the blessing that we see. And honestly, then we have to ask the question, is that enough? Is Christ enough? Is that enough for us? what's our example here? Where, where do we go with this? With this last chapter of Numbers? My prayer, first and foremost, is that we would have a desire for God's word. That we as a church would have a desire for God's word. As the verses that we read earlier, that we would search for him with all of our heart, with all of that we are that we would long for him, that we would pant after him. And that as we chase after his word, as we chase after a relationship with him, that we would have an expectation of his word. We have an expectation of him answering. How many times do we come in on a Sunday morning? How many times do we sit down with this during a quiet time and we have no expectation that he's going to ask anything? We have no expectation 
that we're going to learn anything about it. We have no expectation that this is going to say something to us. Brothers and sisters, we must prepare ourselves every time we come in to the presence of God. We must prepare ourselves with expectation that the Lord has a word for us today. And that through that expectation, we must be prepared for obedience. We must be prepared for obedience. James says it's a foolish man who looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like. But the same thing happens when we hear the word of God, we please ourselves, and we walk away unprepared. We walk away without responding. I pray that we would have a desire for God's word. I pray that we would have an expectation that he would give his word. And I pray that we would obey that word. That we simply wouldn't be a people that hear, but we would be a people of action. This morning, I don't know how this last chapter of Numbers ends. I don't know where you're at in your walk. Maybe this morning you're a believer and, and the Lord has saved you a long time ago. He's called you a child of His for a long time. And this morning you just needed a reminder just need a reminder that God desires to speak to you. You needed a reminder that when you sat down with the Word of God that He is looking to have a conversation and that that there ultimately will be an expectation of obedience to what you're reading. Sometimes it's not a command. Sometimes it's just learning about Him and, and seeing Him in a new light. Seeing what He's done for us in a new light. And, and the expectation and the obedience is simply to worship. Maybe you just needed that reminder this morning. Maybe you need a commitment. Maybe you need to make a commitment that this morning that you'll be expectant. Maybe you need to make a commitment to the Word. Maybe you're in the crisis point or you're in that position where you've got to make a choice. And this morning, the Lord is speaking to your heart saying, listen to me, I want to speak to you. And you just needed a reminder that you need to be you need to be looking at life circumstances. You need to be listening to the people around you that are believers, and you need to be looking in the Word. Maybe this morning you have never experienced a relationship with Him. You have no idea what it meant, what it means for God to speak to you. You have no idea that God has a plan for you. And this morning, God is inviting you. I died for you. I, I rose from the grave for you that I could take care of the consequences of sin. This morning, will repent, if you'll ask for forgiveness and say, I'm going the other direction, I want to follow you, I want to make you my king, I will save you and I will die for you today. Maybe that's you this morning and you need to make that commitment. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. We're just going to have that time of response. We, we do this every week, but this morning I, I hope that it kind of hits you. This is what we're talking about. The Lord gives a word, he speaks to us, and then there is an expectation of obedience. An expectation that the word does not go out for nothing, but that it's there to accomplish something. Let me pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for everything given. Lord, most of all this morning, Lord, as we look at the, the daughters that Zophila had, as we look at this last chapter and this last problem that was brought before you, Lord, I pray that we would learn from it, that we would see 
how you desire for us, for that you have a desire that we would search for you, that we would long for you, that we would run after you, because you want to be found. Lord, Acts says that you are not far from any of us if we will just simply reach out. Father, I pray that if, if we're here and we're hearing your word, Lord, that we would take this time to respond as well. Lord, maybe it's that we make a commitment that we want to, we want to begin expecting you to speak to us, Lord. We make a commitment to obey if you do, when you do. Father, maybe it's this morning that we, we would admit we just don't have a relationship with you. We don't know what it means for you to speak to us. We, we never knew that you had a plan for us. And this morning, we, we simply need to enter into your salvation. And Lord, I pray that you would move in the hearts of those individuals as well, Lord, that they would seek you out this morning and ask questions. Lord, we pray that you would just use this time for your glory.